<laughs> All the behind the scenes. Sorry. So, okay. Sorry to interrupt the flow. Oh no, it's good. All right, take take two. Hey, welcome everybody to our first Direct Connect of October, which is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And we're going to be coming to you this month with some additional videos, a little bonus content as we dive into some of the topics related to cybersecurity that are more broadly applicable uh, in your life. So normally, we, we you know, we focus a lot about critical infrastructure, security and compliance. But uh, what we're going to talk about this month are things that really you need to be thinking about even in your personal lives. And we're going to kick it off with the topic of multi-factor authentication, uh, usually acronymized as MFA. And so with that, I want to introduce Leonard Chamberlain, who's here with me. Leonard, good to see you. Likewise, Steve. Good morning. Multi-factor authentication. Um, you know, that uh, not a not a new concept there. But uh, for those that don't know, I mean, that's uh, something that came along to replace just the old username and password with something a little more secure. The idea being that it couples um, multiple factors of authentication, coupling uh, something you know with something you have or something you are. So something you know, like uh, username or password, something you have, such as uh, uh, an authentication token, um, used to be a little uh, fob on a keychain that would cycle through numbers but uh, nowadays most everybody uh, just downloads an app to their phone in addition to apps I mean uh, you occasionally get texted a password from your bank uh, but again it goes to your personal device so that it is something that you have and uh, another option is something you are biometrics um, retinal eye scans fingerprints um, I don't think anyone's using dental at this point but uh, at any rate um, yeah, something you are. As you were talking through that, I just for some reason uh, the concept of the knock knock joke came into my mind. You know, and how how would multi factor authentication change our sense of humor? You know, knock knock. Who's there? Steve. Steve who? Steve Parker. <laughs> I guess now you got to ask me to prove it, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you'd, you'd probably ask me what the password is, and I'd give you the secret password, and then and then. Uh, uh, you know, you asked me for that second factor uh, to prove it some somehow, way, shape, or form. So, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, you know, why why is multi-factor authentication a thing? Why is it why is it so important, and why why are we hearing so much about it these days? In this day and age of um, people um, accessing personal accounts, um, whether that be for uh, financial gain, whether it be for corporate espionage, or um, you know, whatever the case may be, um, there needs to be a higher level of security for ensuring that the person who is accessing uh, the system, uh, again, whether it's a bank, whether it's a, an industrial control system, whether it's, you know, simply email, um, those things need a higher level of security than has historically been there. If I have a really strong password, let's say I'm, you know, I'm a Savant and I can memorize a 20 character password with, you know, random special characters and such. Uh, isn't that good enough? Why would I need to have an additional authentication if I have a great password? You know, I'm hung up on why you're a savant for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hypothetical. I wasn't, I wasn't making that assertion. 
Well, regardless of the the length of the password, I mean, those are those are things that uh, you know isn't something that necessarily can be guessed or uh, memorized, but it's uh, something that can be um, you know brute forced uh, by a computer. It's 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 not as simple as as it used to be, right? Um, certainly, there are other mechanisms to combat that. Um, you know, limiting the number of logon attempts, uh, password failures. Um, you know, historically, those those have been an easy way to 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 maybe uh, limit that exposure, but there are potential impacts, right? How many times have you locked yourself out accidentally from your own bank account, uh, from your email, for whatever the case may be, and then you have to wait for someone to reset the password for you to regain access? Uh, Multi-factor authentication, on the other hand, presents an opportunity to have that higher level of security, but uh, still allowing that flexibility. Not to say that you mm-hmm. shouldn't still limit the number of um, login attempts you want to ask me a question, Leonard? Like I've been putting you on the spot since the beginning here. In, in your experience, have you seen any in instances where multi-factor authentication has had a negative impact um, and has not had uh, a benefit to the users that um, you know it was intended to have? That's a that's a great question. I'm trying to think of of examples. Um, I'm not sure that I can point to one specifically. It's certainly, from a theoretical perspective, it's it's another obstacle that you need to get through. Um, anytime you make things harder for the attackers, you often will make them harder for the people you really want into a system. Um, I guess one personal example, uh, I have a lot of uh, two-factor accounts where my phone is the device and using a, a Microsoft Authenticator or a Google Authenticator or Duo or some, some of the other ones. Um, and last time I purchased a new phone. In fact, I got a new phone uh, just last summer. I had to go in and re-register, re-enroll for all of those accounts. Um, fortunately, it wasn't a large number of accounts, but uh, typically uh, because of the security involved, the authentication information will not transfer from your old phone to your new phone. You have to go to each account individually, log in, re-register, re-enroll that new device. Um, and so that does add a measure of inconvenience. Um, and we can certainly debate whether it's worth or not. Um, certainly for the high value accounts, uh, I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah, that's 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 true. I'm, I personally have dealt with that as well. You know, you upgrade your phone or, you know, you lose your phone or your phone is stolen. You have to get a new one. And then all of a sudden, everything that keyed off of that as the, the thing you have, all that has to be reset, which is uh, sometimes challenging because on occasion, you need that thing you have, which you no longer have, in order to update it. Um, so, yeah, it, it uh, has been a little bit less than user-friendly uh, approach in, in those mm-hmm. situations. Well, but, especially uh, in, in the case of a lost device, for example. You know, in my case, I, I, I had my old phone while I transitioned to my new phone. But if you lost your device or if it was damaged or rendered useless, that would be a, a significant inconvenience. Because, uh, to your point, you wouldn't have the two factor to log into the account you'd have to use an alternative measure or maybe call a customer service uh, or a help desk in order to get that taken care of. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, I think we've been talking about cases where uh, for the most part, it's 
uh, electronic access, you know, access to uh, some type of system via bank or uh, VPNing into, into your company's network. But um, I think it's also worth pointing out, you know, it's, it's also uh, used uh, extensively in critical infrastructure for securing physical access as well. Um, you know, most places, you know, you, you have a badge and you scan it at a badge reader and you're let in a secure area that you have access to. But, um, you know, if you leave your badge in your car and someone steals it or whatever the case may be, leave it at your desk, someone walks away with it. Um, none of those are good ideas, incidentally, as far as badge management. Um, but, um, you know, there needs to be a, a multi-factor authentication implemented at the physical security um, access point as well. Uh, and again, those typically uh, go with uh, something you have, your badge, coupled with something you know, maybe a pin code that you punch in on a, on a pad next to the badge reader. Um, but uh, biometrics are, are you know, used uh, in, in some cases as well, you know, with the retinal scan or the uh, fingerprint scan in, in those situations. Uh, just depends on, on the uh, location, I guess, and the criticality as well as their budget that they had when they were rolling out their security. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication, uh, and really in many cases it's dual factor or two factor authentication because it's only two, not, not three or more. Um, and it's, it's, it adds a great layer of security and it's fairly strong in most cases, but it's not perfect. Um, it can certainly fail. I have a few ideas in mind of examples, but I figure I'll let you go first. If you can think of some of the ways where multi-factor can be, uh, defeated or worked around, uh, that people should be aware of. Well, given it's um, October, Halloween comes to mind. So cutting off people's fingers or eyes and using those like they do in the movies. Um, but, uh, you know, something less gruesome than that. I mean, obviously, we already talked about uh, stealing of the badge, um, you know, depending on the pen. I mean, someone uh, shoulder surfing and seeing what you what you use. So then then they become some uh, some someone that factor that they know has now been passed on. Um, you know, a mitigating factor of that would be obviously a constant um, periodic requirement to, to change that pin number. So it's not always the same, I guess, kind of the insider angle, um, someone having access to the database that stores all of that, uh, compromising some of this information in that regard, whether it be, you know, learning what the, the shared secret is or, or, private secret and if that's the case um you know or alternatively you know being able to generate a new badge with someone else's credentials um so yeah certainly you've got to watch the watchers mm -hmm. uh, i can think of a, uh, a couple examples that i can add on to that uh one i, I think we were from a from an awareness perspective when you get a code, many, many banks, for example, will send a text to your phone and they'll say, we will never call and ask you for this code. Um, uh, something that's emerged recently that I've seen from from a number of sources is if you post something, say, for sale on an online marketplace, you get contacted from someone who ostensibly wants to purchase what you have for sale. And then they'll say, but to, to so I know you're a real person. Can I send you a code? And you tell me the code and, and just so I know you're real. And of course, they'll send a code to your phone. And in the meantime, 
they're entering your phone number onto some website somewhere um, and then trying to authenticate that phone number. And so they're you know, trying to get you to give them the code that was sent to your phone. So, you know, never, ever do that. Uh, never give your code out to anybody um, uh, unsolicited in that nature. Uh, and I think my, my, my all-time favorite, you mentioned the insider threat letter organization I was working for a while back uh, had a vendor that they had given access to, and it was an individual on a support team who was supposed to have access. And uh, this individual was given a username, password, and also a hard token, a secure ID token for two-factor authentication. Um, and they, they wanted to share their access. And you might think that's a difficult thing to do in that scenario, but uh, they shared the username and they shared the password. And then they took their token and they put it under a webcam and shared the URL for the webcam. So anybody could uh, get access to that code and they were able to share their share their access that way. That was one of the more inventive, creative ways to bypass the two-factor authentication that I had seen used. So uh, be aware of that from an insider, insider perspective. I think we've talked about and mentioned kind of offhand some of the, the common forms of multi-factor authentication that are, that are out there. Um, just kind of running those down. And, you know, if you can think of others, Leonard, that I might have missed, feel free to jump in. But typically uh, the, the phone apps are becoming very, very common. Um, Google Authenticator is one. And how those work essentially is there's a, a, a cryptographic algorithm, very fancy mathematic algorithm, and there'll be a shared secret, one, uh, you know, stored on your phone and then another one stored at the account provider. And that secret is used to generate that rotating six-digit code, and it's based on the time. So every 60 seconds, it'll typically typically rotate. Um, Microsoft uses that uh, as well. The Microsoft Authenticator also has the concept of a push notification. So it's an app running on your phone, and when you go to log in, uh, the, the account provider can send a notification to your phone, and then you can approve or deny that request. So that's another another fairly common one. Um, various other token type apps, typically with that six digit number. Um, one of the other ones we've seen, of course, is the the text message. You'll get a code via SMS. That one's actually been discouraged uh, by Department of Homeland Security. They said that's not uh, really a strong one to rely on. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, at the end of the day, the message is still going to a device that you have. So. Uh, the degree to which that is potentially more problematic than having an application on your phone generating that code. Um, yeah, I mean, perhaps just concern that it could be intercepted in route. I think that's such a small possibility of that, that occurring and having time to actually use the code before the person that requested it uh, used it. Um, those typically have a, a a very quick timeout as well, uh, relatively speaking. Um, you know, they're not good for 24 hours. They're usually good for, you know, five minutes, maybe an hour at the most. Um, so, yeah, it would have to be a, a very coordinated um, endeavor there to, to leverage that, in my opinion. And I guess certainly it's it's better than nothing uh, to some degree. So if the only, uh, the only option you have is to use a text message, uh, certainly better than not having that. I think we've we've touched on a lot of aspects of multi-factor authentication, um, why it's important, some of the the ways that it's uh, performed, and some of the risks and things to think about. Uh, any final thoughts, Leonard? Before we uh, wrap this up. Um, thanks, Steve. Yeah, 
uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat about multi-factor authentication today. I mean, as you said, I mean, and as we've discussed, I mean, there, you know, some some risks in that regard. But um, I think more and more companies are, are recognizing the need for this additional layer of security as they start encouraging you to uh, set up multi-factor authentication. You know, it's not just for work. You, you can also benefit from it uh, in your personal life as well. So I would highly encourage everyone to uh, take advantage of um, you know, whatever services offer multi-factor authentication as an option. All right. Thank you. And I, and I think I'll definitely second that and say, you know, particularly your high value accounts, financial accounts, um, other personal accounts that you, uh, even social media, you don't want people hijacking your social media. So we're, we're possible and we're feasible. I can encourage you all to take a good hard look at what is available and enable that to where it makes sense to do so. Um, with that, I want to thank you for joining us for another Direct Connect with Archer and uh, come back next week for another of our October series of topics related to cybersecurity and awareness. Thank you. Thank you. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at archer underscore intl on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.